The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. Walking through the book of Mark right now. Uh, we'll be in Mark chapter 4. Uh, we'll have it up on the screen. There's Bibles everywhere in the, in the backs of the chairs if you need one. But Mark chapter 4, um, and uh, we'll be looking at a um, maybe a confusing, I think for a lot of a section of scripture. Um, it's going to echo from other parts of scripture. There's other places in the Bible that you'll see some of these same stories and parables that we're going to get into today. And I think for some of us, we look at this and it can be really, really confusing. And I know that I've said before that, that sometimes when we read a, a part of Scripture uh, or some, some passage of Scripture, that it's kind of like, you know, God's talking to us like a Chinese fortune cookie. You know, like this doesn't make any sense. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. You know, um, and I think a lot of times there's just sections of Scripture that sound a lot like that. And uh, we've gotten, we like Chinese food, we've gotten some funny uh, fortune uh, sometimes in our little cookies and everything. Um, need to ask Mindy one time about what happened with the fortune that she had in her cookie. It's a funny story, uh, but you need to ask her about that. So there are some funny fortunes. I haven't seen all of these, but I did look some of these up. So funny, weird, strange, funny fortunes in fortune cookies. The early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. <laughs> that is my life. <laughs> that is it exactly right there. The fortune you seek is in another cookie. <laughs> that was a good one. Stop procrastinating starting tomorrow. I know some people that is their fortune. Your sport this is this one was what I laughed at. Your sports teams will be very successful this year. <laughs> that is not my fortune. <laughs> that one was wrong. These last two were awesome. One of them says, You just ate cat. <laughs> I thought that was great. And the last one was one word. Run. <laughs> I thought those were awesome. <laughs> Sometimes, man, I think we go across, we look in Scripture and we're like, this doesn't make sense, man. Like, I'm looking at what Jesus is saying, and I'm a fairly intelligent human being, and I'm reading his words, and this just does not make any sense. And they can be very confusing, and we don't know which direction to go, you know, when we, we read it. Maybe it even sounds like contradictory sometimes, certainly counterinstinctive um, a lot of times when we read Scripture. And so there's, there's lots of these places, I think, in the Bible where it sounds off, right? You, you read back in, in Genesis, the early, early parts of Genesis, and uh, Cain and, and his brother, and they, you know, he kills him and all that. And then it says that God marks Cain, you know, and well, what is that? And what does that mean, you know? And, and how did that manifest itself? And it's been so perverted over, you know, human history. And just what does that stuff mean? And Jesus gets mad at a tree and curses it. Like, what is that all about, Right. I'm just going to throw this out there, no commentary. Circumcision. We can just throw that out there, right? You want me to kill my child. That's an odd, difficult section of Scripture that you've got to kind of figure your way through. <laughs> so God, your plan is that you want us to run away from an army toward the ocean. That's your big plan, <laughs> right? Okay. Love your enemies. Leave revenge up to me, God says. And this is hard. These are hard things. They're hard to understand. 
they're hard certainly to wrap my heart around. There's so many of these things that come in Scripture that, like, I vehemently disagree with that. Like, not only is that confusing, I don't even like it, you know? I don't even know if I want to understand what that means, because then I'd probably have to do something about it. Um, So there's a lot of these places where it's hard to understand God's mind and his ways, much less trust God. Does that make sense? It's so difficult to understand and to wrap my mind around what it is God's saying, much less trust him. To give him like my daily life and my daily pains and the things we prayed about and just all that stuff. That can be a really, really hard, difficult thing to do. Parables, the parables, the stories that Jesus uses a lot of times to explain, sometimes to confuse uh, what the kingdom is about and what he's about, kind of fit in that category of like, what? What did I just read? I don't, I don't understand that, right? Um, and so today, we're going to look at this passage, and there's this whole, whole bunch of stuff about seeds today, right? There, I dare say there are people in this room who have never even handled a seed. And that there's this entire chapter where Jesus is like, hey, go sow seeds. And we're like, okay, I'll sow some seeds. You know, we don't even know, we don't understand what he's talking about when we read this stuff. We struggle with it. And just think about this. If this is stuff that we struggle with, what about his disciples? I mean, however goofy and dumb that they are, you know, and that we want to kind of point fingers at them and go, gosh, they're so dumb, they didn't get it. And I think it's a lot of times because we know that they kind of represent us in the, in the story, you know, so it's easy to kind of point fingers at them and say how dumb they were. Um, they had so little to go on, you know. Three chapters before this, these guys are fishing. <laughs> they're collecting taxes. They're just living life. And this guy comes along, this amazing, magnificent, you know, teacher comes and says, follow me. And they're okay. And they go with him to follow him. The next thing you know, they're touching lepers and casting out demons, you know, and Jesus is talking to him about sowing seeds. Like, no, we're fishermen. I don't understand what you're talking about. Right. There's so much that makes this hard for understanding. And sometimes we, we feel that way. You know, we read scripture, or we read a passage or we hear a promise from the Lord. And we're like, I don't understand that. And we need the Holy Spirit to make it clear to us. If not the details the path to obedience and the path to trust, we need the Spirit to show us, man, like, how do I step into that? I don't know. So can we pray this morning and ask the Spirit to do that for us and to make it clear this morning? God, we just do. We ask, we're going to look at something that I think can be very confusing and very hard to understand. God, I'm asking your Holy Spirit to fall in this place, to come into our minds and our hearts and to enlighten us. Let the light of the Holy Spirit shine in our hearts so that we see and understand. Even if it's something small, it doesn't have to be this grand, huge, big idea. Maybe it's just one small, simple thing that we can step out in faith into. God, I pray that you would give us the grace and the Holy Spirit to let us see that and to step out into that. Father, that you would give us the trust and the faith. Give me faith to trust what you say like we just sang. Now show us how to do those things this morning. Let your spirit shine in us. In your name we pray, amen. So we've looked at it up to this point, and we've seen that Mark's message, like Mark's emphasis uh, about Jesus is the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God, of God is, is now, right? And not only has the kingdom of God come now in the person of Jesus, but we're supposed to follow him. That's the invitation that's been given to all of us, is that certainly the kingdom of God has come in this person of Jesus, and that's awesome, but that he's doing things, and he's then saying, come follow me. He's asking us, he's given us this invitation to go and to follow him. And you know, that takes trust, some amount of trust that, that this person who's asked me to follow him 
knows the way or knows where I'm supposed to be going or knows who I'm supposed to become, something. So there's some amount of trust that we're giving to Christ when he says, follow me, and we step out and we follow him. So there's this process. It's God's kingdom in us, working in us, but it's also something that you act on over and over and over again. Just maybe think to yesterday or Friday. Maybe yesterday's a bad idea, but Friday. Think about Friday and how many potentially dozens of opportunities you had to kind of see something that the Holy Spirit's doing in you, and you had an opportunity to trust it or not trust it. All these little tiny forks in the road that we all experience every day, where it's this process of the kingdom coming alive in us, but it's also this process of daily, moment by moment, I get to act on that or not act on that, right? So that's kind of what God's calling us into here. Maybe we'll understand it a little bit more as we look at this text, or maybe not. We'll just see what the Lord has for us. So Mark chapter 4, we're going to skip the beginning of it, but the beginning of it is this really long teaching about sowing seeds and the hard hearts and the soils and all this stuff. And I just didn't want to go back into that uh, today. We don't have time. Um, So we're going to start at at verse 21, and he's still going to continue to talk about seeds and sowing and all this kind of stuff. So he says uh, in verse 21, it says, Jesus was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed. Nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care of what you listen to. This is so important. Take care of what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him shall be more given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. And we're like, I am already checking out. I don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) These four or five verses here are too much for me to handle on a Sunday morning. So what does it look like if this whole message, if Mark's whole intent of writing his text is like, see the king, follow him. The light of the world has come. The kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus follow him. What does it look like to trust in Christ and to follow him? The kingdom work of God, the kingdom work of Jesus in me. What does it look like daily to kind of trust in that? I think this is an exceptionally practical passage, actually, um, if you dig through some of the, the symbols and the things that Jesus is using to explain these things. So what does it look like to trust in God's kingdom work and to follow him into what he's doing? First of all, I think you have to trust You have to believe, you have to put your hope and your faith in that God has sent Jesus so that we can understand about his kingdom. He didn't send Jesus to make it harder to understand. He sent Jesus specifically so that we would understand. And again, I think some of us have this really perverted, twisted view of God's redeeming work throughout history. And we're like, man, I wish I could go live in the time of Moses when, you know, God was doing this and Noah and David and all that. And I'm like, no, I want to live now. The Holy Spirit indwells men. The Holy Spirit, God lives in people, right? The kingdom of God has come. That was 2,000 years ago in Jesus. We're living in that time now. This is the best time to be a believer, right? Because we have access daily, moment by moment, to the Holy Spirit, the representative of Jesus, right, in our hearts and in our lives every day, every moment. So he's come to make these things clear to us. And one of the first things he says here is listen. Listen. 
listen, and then he talks about hearing some form. It may not look like it in the English because we have to use different ways to say it, but some form of the idea of listen or hear, it it appears 13 times in chapter 4. Now, is this, you know, Jesus trying to keep the attention of, of preschoolers? Hey, 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 pay attention. Put that ball down. Put that phone down. Put that TV remote down. Right? Put that book down. Pay attention. Listen. Is that what's happening here? Is that all he's trying to do? He just has to turn the lights out. Hey, hey, teacher said pay attention. I'm turning the lights out to everybody. Everybody's quiet. Is that what's happening? Why does he say to us over and over again, listen, hear. If you have hear, ears, hear. If you can listen, hear and understand. What is he saying to us? Because he, what he says, what Jesus means is like, when you listen to me, you can't stay in neutral anymore. This is the whole deal from Jesus, man. I'm a really big, this is like right up my alley too, unfortunately. So you're going to get a little bit of it today. You cannot be a, a intentional follower of Jesus Christ and think that all he did was to come to give you nice pithy sayings to throw out on Facebook. You, you cannot be a follower of Christ and say, oh my gosh, I understand that. I can't wait to retweet that. I can't wait to throw that out in an argument. I can't wait to throw it in a prayer group so that people see how spiritual I am. The entire point of Jesus talking to us and bringing his kingdom into us is so that we would listen, hear, and understand, and then obey, and then do. You cannot be, listen, people, you cannot be an active, intentional follower of Christ and listen to what he says and then do nothing with it. He doesn't even give us that option. His whole point of teaching us is that we cannot stay in neutral. He said at the beginning, he's like, the time has come. And when he says that to me and you, he means like, you're hearing me. And when you hear me, you have an obligation to do something with it. You are under obligation now. I have entrusted you with something, some literally secret of my kingdom. And you now have to take that and go live with it. You have to take that and go do something with it. Enact it in your life. Make it true for yourself daily. Just whatever it is, you have to take it and live under that. Jesus came to preach, and Jesus came to heal, and he did all these things. But man, you know what? Man, at the, at the crux of it all, whether it's about salvation or healing or prayer or whatever else he kind of came to do, he came to push us to make up our minds about him. He, you never see Jesus teaching or talking to somebody. He's like, hey, it doesn't matter really what you believe about me. Go ahead and do what you want to do. It's constantly, what do you, who do you say that I am? What do you believe about me? Right? Over and over and over again. And when Jesus talks to you, he's like, what do you believe about me? So we just had these prayers. And this prayer time was wonderful and awesome. But I want to go to every single person that had something prayed about this morning. And I want to ask you, as you listen to the Holy Spirit speak to you, Jesus comes behind that and he says, now, what do you believe about me? What did you take to him this morning? Because Jesus looks back at you and he says, man, I've got this. I got it. What do you believe about me? What are you going to walk out of here with and live like is different because you prayed about that thing this morning? I'm revealing something to you about the secrets of the kingdom and the person of God in Jesus Christ. You've laid this, this need, this pain at my feet. What do you believe about me? Constantly, constantly the challenge that we get from Christ to take his words. He doesn't want spectators. 
I don't know if we have it anymore. On the, maybe we have it back on the uh, Pathways table. But there's this great book by Kyle Eidelman said, not a fan. That Jesus doesn't, he didn't want a fan club. He's not interested in you going, I really like Jesus. Yay, yay, yay. Hallelujah. He, he doesn't care. He wants to know what you believe about him and how what he's revealed to you through the Spirit is impacting your daily life. That's what he's interested in. Listen and hear. And now you're under obligation to go live underneath whatever that revelation is, right? He talks about this light that's coming to the world. At the very beginning of this passage, he says, listen, and there's a light that's come. Here's the other thing you need to understand. Man, without Jesus, we would just completely lack understanding. We, we could read scripture all day long and it would not make any sense to us without the work of the active work of the person of Jesus Christ, shedding his light, shining his light on our hearts, on scripture, on the heart of God, and then allowing and empowering all those things to kind of come together, do the work that they're supposed to do. Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's like, guys, listen, don't you understand? The light has come. The light has come. John's real clear about that in John chapter 1. The light of the world came, but the darkness didn't know it. So Jesus is like, I am the light. I am the word of God in the flesh. In me, <laughs> just think about this, in the person of Jesus Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and understanding and truth are hidden in him. Do we really get that? Really? There's so much in my life I don't understand. And there's so much in my life that doesn't make any sense to me at all. All the wisdom and the secrets and the truth and the understanding of God are in the person of Jesus Christ. And he has come to be the light for us on those things. To shine his light on that stuff. Right? Now we're thinking when we hear that vindication, he's going to show me what is really going on and I'm going to understand it and like it. Don't be so sure. I don't think that's Jesus' deal either. I think his deal is to come and to show us truth, understanding, God's wisdom, and then go, you bend yourself to that. Submit to that. So the, the light of Christ is the light of the world. And he's like, would it make any sense at all for God to send the light of all lights in the world and then not let you see? He's like, that doesn't make any sense. God has sent me clearly to, to expressly uncover the things that have been hidden, the things that Moses and Noah and David and Solomon, none of them could understand, but they longed for. Man, we have access to those things, to the light of Christ. Here's the other thing. We'll get into this a bit later, man. This is part of Jesus' deal. It's one of the reasons why he came. He's not going to stop until all of that revelation is done. He's not going to be done until he's done. He's not going to be finished until he's completely revealed all that God has for us to know and understand and do. He's not. Now, that you can take that personally. He's not going to be right. He's not going to be done with you until he's done revealing everything to you, everything he wants you to know, understand, wisdom, truth, and then you and, and do it. And the strength and the power to walk in that every day. That's his work in you. Amen. We should all say amen about that. He is faithful to complete the good work that he's begun in us. Right? So he's not going to be finished until he's done with that. And then historically, cosmically, he's not done until he's done revealing 
all these truths and understandings and wisdom and all that, the hidden riches of God, are in Jesus Christ. Amen? And he's not going to be done until he's done with that. So he's going to be teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and revealing. And he's saying to you over and over again, listen here. You are under obligation. Do. Obey. Trust. That's the big one. Trust. Right? Walk like these things are really true. So part of Mark's faith, if, if every gospel writer has a little different take on different things, part of Mark's idea of faith is, is a lot of activity, right? You don't, read, you don't read Mark to be bored. Mark is very fast and quick and action. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Faith in God is an active faith. So what does that mean? That means I don't understand very much. There are some of us in this room and we have so little biblical knowledge, really true, good, hardcore biblical knowledge. I'm not asking you to go out and to expand more about what you know, right? I'm asking you to take a hold of what you know and act on it. Whatever little bit of light, hold the God, the Holy Spirit, Christ have given you, grab onto that, seize onto it, and then act on it, right? He says clearly, very clearly, if you choose to act rebelliously against the things I've already revealed to you, I'm not going to give you more. Matter of fact, I'll probably take away what I've already given you. It's pretty harsh. That's how serious Jesus is about this. I've already told you. I've already given you truth. I've already given you some amount of wisdom, some amount of understanding. And some of us are so arrogant, rebellious against that. And we don't understand why God won't reveal the secrets of my marriage to me or the secrets of my children to me or the secrets of my finances to me. And God's like, I told you to do this. It's pretty simple and clear. Be faithful with that. I'll reveal a lot of other stuff to you down the road. So you're like, man, sinners, that's hard. I'm softening what Jesus said. He said it a lot harder than I just said it, okay? So you're going to kind of have to argue with the Lord on that one. It's this continuous process that's happening in our lives. The kingdom of God coming alive in our hearts. This continuous process. The Spirit is going to reveal things to me. I'm going to receive them, submit to them, act on them, be faithful with them. He reveals a little bit more to me. I receive that. I believe that. I trust in that. I act on that. He reveals a little bit more, right? It's this continuous process. And here's what I would say to some of us in the room today. I think we should be alarmed when any of these things aren't happening in our lives on a continuous process. If you ever find yourself kind of at a place where you're like, I've heard you, Lord, I think, and I think I'm trying to believe in you and trust in you and act like the way you've told me to act and believe and trust— but nothing else is happening in my life, there should be a bit of an alarm. Now, maybe that alarm is you want to not work harder and try harder, but just submit yourself to it. Be aware, is he saying something and you're not aware to aware of it, right? Some of us get stuck in the mundaneness of doing the Christian thing that we're not listening for the next thing that I think the Holy Spirit might be saying to us. So sometimes we got to just quit and shut down the noise. Say, what are you saying? Or we kind of get stuck, right? So always know this process is going on. And be aware of where you're at with the Lord in his process. So Jesus is saying to us, you know, uh, that we daily receive, we daily get truth from the Holy Spirit. I do think it's daily. I really do. I think it's kind of moment by moment as we're submitted to him. We receive these truths from him uh, and, and maybe direct revelations from him in some ways. I don't think concurrent with scripture, but similar to that. And we can hinder, if we're not careful treating preciously what the Lord is telling us, we can hinder somehow the work of the Lord in our lives. I think there's a proportionate thing here, Jesus says. The measure you use 
So get practical. The measure you use to meditate on God, to learn to love God with all of your passions and desires, the measure you use to practice what you hear in a good sermon, somebody else's podcast maybe, the measure you use to give other people the gospel, it's measured back to you. Now, is that somehow really scary? You just want to think about the last seven days? How did you measure out your time in meditation on the Lord? How did you measure out your time and your efforts in giving the gospel to someone? How did you measure out your time in just submitting to the work of the Lord in your life? How did you measure out your time and your energy in listening to the Holy Spirit? How did you measure out your time in confessing and throwing yourself on grace, which our Lord is so gracious and happy to give us? How much time did you use calling on the wisdom of the Lord? The same measure that you use to handle the truth that God's given you is the measure that it will be measured back to you. That is intimidating and revealing, I think, for most of us. There's a quality issue, I think, and a quantity issue here. Here's where I think our hearts ought to be. I want God to have all of me and to change all of me. Amen? Can we just say that at least conceptually? (laughs) If our hearts aren't behind it, can we just say, no, I want that. I want God to have all of me, and I want him to change all of me. We want that to be true. We also want God to have mercy and, you know, grace and say, God, just do a lot with my little. I don't have a lot to give. I don't have a lot of knowledge, wisdom, understanding, talent, whatever it is. I don't have very much, but do a lot with what I give you. And I think he is very merciful and gracious to to do that because isn't that a huge step of faith, right? Take my very little and do much with it. Man, what a huge step of faith. The measure I use is the measure that it will be measured back to me with. The way that you use what you hear now, just think about this. The way way that you use what you hear from the Holy Spirit now will influence how you hear God in the future. I can't tell you how many people I know who at one time loved the Lord and lived with him, and and at some point or another, whether that was through pain, tragedy, abuse, whatever it was, they quit being faithful with what they heard. And here, five, ten, six months, five years, ten years, twenty years later, they're callous and they're hard. And somewhere or another, man, their faith stopped in high school, or their faith stopped when they had kids, or their faith stopped when their children rebelled. They just quit. And there's some, and you're going to hear this again throughout this text too. There's something to this idea that your future is being shaped right now by your response to God's word as you're hearing it. Just think about that. Your future with the Lord is being shaped right now as you are hearing his word and responding to his word. Wow, that's big. So I mean, you should start praying, God, let me hear you. What have you said to me? Just, I want to be faithful with it. Give me faith. Give me trust. Let me walk in that truth. Look in verse 26. He continues. And he was saying. So every time it says that he was saying or he said, for, for Mark, that's like Jesus moved from here to here to here to here. It's like, man, bam, 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 bam. Like he was saying all these things at the same time. So he moves out of this light and let me reveal things. He moves to this. He was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and he gets up by day. And the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself doesn't know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So to see God's kingdom work, I have to really believe 
that God sent Jesus for me to understand things about his kingdom. Secondly, I have to believe that God has sent us, me, to sow the seeds of the kingdom. I have to believe that God sent Jesus so that I would understand about his kingdom. And then secondly, I've got to believe he has sent me to go sow the seeds of his kingdom. And some of you are like, man, Pastor Joe, I don't want to sow seeds, man. I like the harvest. I like seeing people come to Christ. I like ministering to people in this way. I really like to eat the produce of the gospel. I really enjoy the work and the cultivating and all that kind of stuff. Man, listen, me too. And there's a whole lot of times in my life I want to rush the process, right? I want to skip past the sowing of seeds in people's lives to reaping a harvest, right? Or, or I want to go past the sowing of seeds and just work in the garden and till and pull up weeds and just kind of get my mind cleared by just doing hard work in God's garden. I want to rush the process or skip to some other part of the process or enjoy the rewards of the process. Did anybody, when you were in school, did y'all have to do that? I didn't even know what it was for. We had to put beans in a little half milk carton. You do this, and you put a little bean, and then it grew a little bean sprout. Anybody else have to do that? Okay, I don't even know what it was for. Did it in elementary school for some reason. Probably some weird biology experiment or something. And I can remember we had to take it home and, like, water it, just take care of it or whatever. And two weeks in, I, I have a little bean plant, I guess is what it is, but there are no beans. So I'm like seven or eight. I just threw it away. Got a zero on that project. I think my mom probably kept that grade report for me somewhere. But I, I literally threw it away because I was impatient. I want, I didn't even like beans. I just want beans on my plant, you know? I want a bean plant, plant with beans on it. We don't notice it here because we're way deep south in a very temperate region. But if you live anywhere a little bit further north... And maybe some of you have even noticed this, but tomatoes in the wintertime taste funny. Has anybody ever noticed that? They get blander in the wintertime. And you should be asking, how are there red tomatoes at the grocery store in January? You should be asking that question, okay? But we go to the store, we buy these red tomatoes, and they just don't taste quite as good. Let me tell you why they don't taste quite as good, okay? They're growing them generally in greenhouses over the years. And we found out some things about growing tomatoes in greenhouses. Um, they, don't, they need UV light. So they have now begun to pump in UV light into greenhouses so that our tomatoes will taste a little bit fresher. If they don't do that, one of the things they do, they pick them when they're green and they pump ethylene <laughs> into our tomatoes so that they turn red and stay red longer. That's why your winter tomatoes taste funny. You can't skip the process and get the harvest that you want. Whether it's a bean or a tomato or a person or a work of God in the kingdom, you can't skip parts of the process and get the product that you want. I want desperately my one to come to Jesus. And some of you do too. You want that. You pray for it. You're asking God for it. You want your one to come to Jesus. Man, I want our, our church filled up with seekers and worshipers. I want my children to love Jesus more than they do anything else. Here's what I know. I am called to sow seeds. I'm called to sow. If you want to harvest in the kingdom of God, you just sow. You sow. One of the cool things about this text is it says this farmer goes out and he sows and he goes to bed and he gets up and plants grew and he did it. He has no idea how it happened. Isn't that the way God does it? 
I get ticked off because he didn't grow my bean plant fast enough, and then my tomatoes aren't red in the wintertime. And he's working, and he's doing things in the ground, in the soil, in the seed, with the sun, with the air, to make sure that a harvest comes up. The harvest is his. I'm called to sow. You're called to sow. And some of us are angry that we're not reaping in life what we think we should be reaping. I'm going to give you some rules of sowing and reaping. First of all, you always reap what you sow. You always reap what you sow. We are, we are doing this nationally. Historically and nationally, we are reaping what we have sown. Amen? Kind of a, a dead, lifeless Christianity in our country for 100 years. And we've got four generations being brought up in a Christianity that probably didn't matter much at home, and it certainly didn't. We got pushed out of the public realm. Christianity just doesn't matter much, so we have an entire generation of people, and it doesn't matter to them, right? The most unevangelized, unchristian generation in American history, some sitting in the room today, 25 and under, the second largest generation in American history, is the most unevangelized generation in American history. You reap what you sow. Culturally, we've sowed a particular thing. We're reaping it. Familially, that's a big word. Locally, macro in our individual lives, you reap what you sow. So here on Sunday, you can call out to the Lord and say, God, do this, God, do this, God, do that. I'm going to come back. Jesus is going to say, what do you believe about me? I think the second question he's going to say is, what did you sow this week? You always reap what you sow. Secondly, you always reap more than you sow. Adam and Eve ate an apple. Their kid murdered their other kid. Just let that sink in. These aren't generations of sinners. It's generation one to generation two. You reap rebellion against the Lord. Sow rebellion against the Lord. You reap rebellion against the Lord. You always reap more than you sow. Third, you always reap in a different season than you sow. I don't like this one. I want sowing and reaping to happen like that. You always reap in a different season than you sow. Fourth, you can't reap unless you sow. Don't leave this one out. We want to go straight to product, right? We want to microwave everything, instant everything, customize everything. You can't bring in what you haven't worked to put out. Fifth thing. The harvest and the productivity of your work belongs to the Lord. All throughout Scripture, we are only called to be faithful with what we have. That's it. If you've been given a thousand of something, be faithful with a thousand of something. If you've been given a half penny of something, be faithful with the half penny of something. That's all we're required to do. That's all God's asking us to do. Some of us have delusions of grandeur, like it doesn't matter because I don't have a thousand something. And God's like, no, 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 but I gave you that. Will you be faithful with that? That's all we're required to do. And then the harvest belongs to him. The productivity of whatever it is that we have belongs to him. So whether it's your one or this church or your children, The big question here is, are you being faithful to sow the seeds? Are you being faithful to sow genuine, God-honoring, Jesus-loving seeds in those places? The gospel into those places. Where have you not been faithful? 
Those are the questions I think Jesus would ask us about. Here's the, the next thing I want to say. I got to go. There's this, this, there's a mundanity, <laughs> a, a dailiness to following Christ, right? There's a, there's a daily aspect to getting up and just following Christ. So let me ask you this. How many days this last week did you get up and go to work and change diapers and watch the news and write a report and close a file and teach or preach? And then you got up the next day and you did it all over again. That's like our lives, isn't it? <laughs> For most of us, that's what we do. I get up today and I do this, 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 and I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm probably going to do that and I get it next day and I'm going to do it again. It is in your daily faithfulness that God is bringing his kingdom into being. It would not have been unusual for the farmer to sow. Have you thought about that? It's weird for us to use that language, but basically what Jesus is doing, he's saying, hey, farmers sow. And in their faithfulness, God brings a harvest. So he's saying to moms, mom, mom, mom's mom, go mom. And as you mom, I'm going to bring a harvest. You get that? Some of you are engineers. Go engineer. Right? Whatever it is, God says, I've given it to you. It's your daily thing. Get up and go do it. Students, you're a student. Get up and study whatever you do. No more Fortnite. Just study, right? God brings a harvest. It's in the dailiness of it, the everydayness of it, that God works and God moves. Verse 30. Next thing. So he says, Okay, we don't understand the whole sowing thing. I'll talk about a tree. How shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it's smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. So here's another farming you know, idea that he's given to us. So first of all, I want to trust the kingdom of work in my life. That means I trust that God has sent Jesus so I understand. Secondly, he has sent me to sow the seeds of the kingdom. Third, God is using, and I'm going to capitalize these. I don't know if I did it on my notes. God is using us in this now to bring about his great kingdom. And I want to emphasize those words. Us, this now, great kingdom. Okay? I want to talk about that just a little bit. This mustard tree idea. Mustard trees go from a tiny, tiny little seed, like a little pinhead of a seed. Very, very small. After years of, of cultivation, a mustard tree can be anywhere from 8 feet to 25 feet tall. They had records of 32 feet tall. So it's, it's a wide range, but for the most part, just due to where they live, they, they fall somewhere in there, but really big from something that you, if I held it, you couldn't see it. It's so small. It grows in these huge things. It's not only providing food for people and animals, it's also uh, giving shelter to the birds. That's what Jesus is saying here. Here's what I would tell you, man. Some of you are in this place and you're like, man, this is taking forever. I sowed those seeds so long ago and I, I can't see the end of this thing, man. Like my bean sprout has no beans, Jesus, you know. My mustard tree is still like a little sapling. Why is this taking so long? We, we just want God to use like Amazon Prime, you know. God, why can't you work on the same schedule as Amazon Prime and just, you know, overnight deliver me some character or, or salvation or joy or healing or provision? Why can't you bring my rebellious one home to me? Here's what I want to say to you, man. That mustard seed part is this. I think we saw it earlier, but I think 
Jesus is saying it again. Have faith. Persevere. Don't be discouraged. Your work for the kingdom, you're sowing seeds of the gospel. In words and in deeds, it will bring results you can't imagine. No one looks at a tiny little seed, smaller than a needle head, and says a great tree will grow out of this. No, you're like, no, that's, do I eat that? Do I just throw it on the ground? Is that a rock? <laughs> you know, you don't think about a giant tree giving shade and food to people coming out of something so small. Will you be faithful over the long haul? Will you trust God that he's working through it? Will you be faithful in prayer, faithful in sowing the seeds of the kingdom? That's what the mustard tree, I think, is about. 35, verse, verse 35 takes us into sort of a different place. I don't wanna, I'm going to skip up into that. Verse 35, he says, On that day when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. So they're on one side of a lake, and he wants to go to the other side of the lake. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing, we're dying? And he got up, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What is the point? <laughs> what is the point of this storm story? He's talked about seeds, and he's talked about sowing, and he's talked about farmers, and he's talking about light. And then Jesus says, I don't know, I can kind of see this, because I've, I've had, if you have children, this happens every now and then where you're like, Oh, I have a great idea. This is going to be so impactful, right? This is a great teaching moment, <laughs> you know? And I think that happens for Jesus. It's like, Hey, guys, I got an idea. Let's go jump in the boat. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. I'm going to explain this to you in a different way. The seed thing doesn't make sense, and the mustard tree doesn't make any sense to you. Sowing and farming and light, that isn't. I'm going to show you what's happening here. So he takes them into this, uh, into the boat, and he has a specific point to make with them. So what is the point? Is it like for them to go, ooh, good job, Jesus. That was amazing. You really are cool, Right? Is that the point of this? Is that what he's doing? Or for us to see, think that? Wow, what an amazing story. This is like, you know, some Greek mythology. Is that the point of what Christ is doing here? A couple of theological things I'm not going to get into. I will say this. I think it's a lot like baptism or the Lord's Supper. There is something below the surface. There is a point that Jesus is making that goes beyond a physical storm. That goes beyond being in a boat and on a lake in an unknown place and having something horrible happen to you. It's something, something very important here is happening, but it's representative of something else. This is it. This is what I think Jesus is saying. I think he's been saying this the whole time. I think he's making it clear in the storm episode. He, what he's saying is, he's saying it is my right and my ability to rule over the ugly, terrible storms in your hearts. That's my right, and I have the ability to do it. Will you trust me? Storms, winds, and waves, they will always come. Always, y'all. Always. Always. Divorce, illness, suffering, financial loss, bad choices, much of that stems from bad choices. 
Will you trust that Jesus is doing his work? Will you trust that he is establishing his rule and his work in you and in those people around you? We want to give up. This is when we want to bail out. Hey, Jesus, don't you care that I'm dying? That's what his disciples said too. And we bail out at these points. It's these points where we have the most amount of discomfort, the, the greatest amounts of pain, and we're like, I'm done. Will you trust Jesus then and there that he is unshakably committed to bringing his kingdom work into your heart? Notice I did not say that Jesus is unshakably committed to your comfort and your physical well-being and that you have a great life before you die. He is unshakably committed to bringing the kingdom's work into your heart. He'll do it through light or a seed, a tree or a storm. He will do whatever it takes to bring his kingdom's work into your heart. The only thing we are left with if I listen and hear is, will I trust him? Will I trust what he's doing? when he does these things, when he lets me go into these things, when he walks with me through these things into my life. We're going to do this and we'll be done. What misconceptions do we have about storms? Because most of us have bad theology when it comes to storms. Bad understandings. What do we bring into it? Misconceptions that we have. First of all, a lot of us think that life with Jesus is cruises and breakfast in bed and comfort and worry-free religion. I follow Christ because I want good stuff. I, want, I, want, I follow Christ because I want him to bring me good, comfortable things now, today. That is a misconception about your storms. It is Jesus' idea. He says, hey, let's go over. Do you, do you, I mean, you have to have a different theology than I do. You have to read Scripture way differently than I do. Do you think that when Jesus said, let's go get in the boat and go the other side, he didn't know the storm was coming? Because I can't go there. It's his idea Hey, let's get in this boat and go across this lake right now. He's with them in the storm, and he's asleep while the storm is happening. Man, if he doesn't teach us something just from those points alone about the kingdom work in our lives and about storms and about what he's doing. Secondly, another misconception, storms are meant to destroy us. Just like the disciples, do you not care that I'm dying? Did you leave, like in the Old Testament, right? Why did you take us out of slavery to take us into the desert to die? We think storms are intended from God to destroy us. Doubts, anger, depression, fear all rise during those times. What if part of God's kingdom work in you is to show you that you are not in control that you are not supreme, that you are not ultimate. What if that's the point? And this is it. Like, this is it. What if the point of your storm is God just saying, hey, listen, I need you to come down a couple pegs. That belongs to me. Are you okay with that? Because he certainly is. He's worth it. He's worth every song that I sing, not me. And sometimes I reverse that. I think storms are brought into my life, unfortunately, sometimes to destroy me. And I think a lot of times God's like, listen, I care. I'm with you. It's my idea. I'm working something in you. My kingdom work is happening in you because of this. 
not despite of it, because of it. Third thing, we think before we go into a storm, oh, I'm going to handle that really well. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking really clearly when I walk through difficulties in my life. No, you're, we lose our minds. <laughs> we do. We literally lose our minds when things get hard. Have you ever made a terrible decision during a bad time in your life? Because we lose our minds in storms, man. Right? It's like my dogs that panic during a storm. You got to put those thunder jackets on them, you know, and they just, they're going crazy. We do the same thing, man. We kind of, we tend to lose our minds. Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, can't you do anything about this? This is chapter four. Chapter, three chapters, two chapters before this. Had they already forgotten about the demoniac? Jesus had said to this demon-possessed person, peace be still, come out. Shut up. Come out of him. That's what he said. Did they forget that already? That Jesus touched a leper and healed him? That he spoke against a fever and it came out of someone? That he had a man with a shriveled hand and he healed him? That he had a paralyzed man and he got up and he walked out? We forget this stuff when we walk through storms, people. We don't think rightly when we're in storms. Fourth misconception about storms. My faith is unshakable. Bring it on. I can handle it. When fear, this is Max Lucado said this, he said, when fear shapes our lives, safety becomes our God. Now just think about that. That's awesome. When safety becomes our God, we worship the risk-free life. Can the safety lever do anything great? Can the risk-averse accomplish noble deeds for God, for other people? No. The fear-filled life cannot love deeply because love is risky. They cannot give to the poor because there's no guarantee that benevolence has a return. The fear-filled cannot dream wildly. What if their dreams sputter and fall from the sky? The worship of safety emasculates greatness. No wonder Jesus wages such a war against fear. Amen. I think my faith is unshakable before a storm comes. And when it comes, I am cowering and crying in the stern of the boat. Jesus calms the storm. Why? Why? Why is this here? Why? He calms the storm to show us that there is something to be understood and known about the kingdom work of God. He is shining light on the fact that he is king and he wants to rule in our hearts. If he can say that to the waves, what can he do to my heart? He's the king. His light is shining on that as he calms the storm. He calms the storm because he's sending us out to sow the seeds of the kingdom into the hearts of other people. Man, don't you know people who are just torn up by life? Their life is a perpetual storm. Jesus is saying, hey, go give some of what I've given you to them. Go sow seeds. Sow seeds. And the same power that is in you, I want to give to them. Amen. He is showing these guys, listen, this is what I'm trying to explain to you. The kingdom of God is here, and I'm in you. And as you go with these seeds, you can give that same power, freedom, restoration to these other people in your life. So he calms the storm so that we get that. He calms the storm because he's using us in this now to bring his present world 
rule into the world. Some of us want the storm to be over and to move past it and for God to, quite frankly, put his eye on somebody else. God, use them. (laughs) Don't use me anymore. This is hard. And what I want to encourage you with this morning is that God is using you in your now, not tomorrow, not when this is over, right now to establish his rule on this world. Amen? Man, take heart. Take heart, brother and sister. God is using you now in your difficulty, in your pain, in your storm to bring his kingdom into this world. Would you pray with me? Some of you need to pray and say, God, give me understanding. Give me understanding. Can you pray that? God, there's so much I don't get. There's so much I don't understand. Would you open up my mind? I feel like maybe even my mind has been closed. Maybe I've not been faithful. Maybe you need to repent, confess. God, I, I haven't been faithful with what you've already shown me. Would you please open my mind? Help me to understand. Shine your light to trust you, to obey you. Open the eyes of my heart that I can see you again. God, to trust you, to obey you, to know you, to love you. Faith, this is the whole deal. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Jesus is saying it to these guys. Do you trust me? There's a kingdom work to be done. There is seeds that need to be sown. And I know you're tired and I know it seems like your little bean plant's not growing beans yet. (laughs) And your tomatoes taste funny. I'm doing something. Will you trust me? God, give me faith. Give me faith. Open my eyes so that I can believe, that I can trust. And just sow. I want to sow daily. I want to be a faithful sower. God, give me trust that you will use me. I want to be daily obedient to you. That's a big prayer. So we're not asking you to go to the mission field or sell your house and live with poor people. Just, God, tomorrow, I want to be just daily obedient, moment by moment, where my thoughts are, where my mouse clicks, where I drive my car, with where the remote puts me on the channel, the stuff that I put in my ears and my eyes. Just, I want to be daily obedient. Let me trust you. You're a good, good father, but you are also a good, good king. You're a good, good king. Amen. Let me trust that. Some of us, we don't trust that. God, we want to submit to your kingship in our lives. You're the king. There's a kingdom at work in our hearts. You're the king. We want to submit to that. I want to give in to your saving work. Rule in my heart today, God. Make me a faithful sower and worker and trust you that you are working, calming storms, growing trees, bringing in a harvest. Whatever it is, you've called me to be faithful and to trust you. Let us all do that every day. In your name we pray, amen.